Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, welcome to A Light On. Um, today I'm talking to Yornea Tomzik, PhD, correct? And normally I can, I can not stomach talking to PhDs, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to make an exception today because, uh, thankfully you don't seem very much like them. Uh, most of the PhDs I talk to, um, but why don't, yeah, why don't you start with a little bit of background on yourself? Uh, what have you, you've been working with PCR for over 26 years, correct? What, you know, how, uh, what have you been involved with? So I, I went into biology because I love animals, so it's kind of weird that then I ended in a molecular genetics lab. But, you know, it's about uh, choosing where there is more chances of getting employed, right? So everybody was like, oh, genetics. It was in the mid-90s. Genetics was becoming a big thing. Now I exactly know why. I mean, now it's clear. But at that point, it was like, oh, yeah, genetics, fine. So I studied biology in Italy, although I was born in Yugoslavia before it became Slovenia. So a few years back, um, PCR was the tool that we started using in the mid nineties. So in 1995, I ran my first PCR reaction and I immediately saw that's a little bit finicky. It's not that easy to get the result, whatever you need. So I kind of have been keeping my eye on PCR as a tool for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I finished my grad school also in Italy uh, in, yeah, at the beginning of like in 2000s. And then in 2005, I moved to the U.S. So I've been working more in basic research in bacteria and, and that kind of stuff. And in 2008, I started working in cancer, in a cancer center at Ohio State. So... Uh, that pretty much gave me a lot of the insight of what's going on with cancer research, what they're doing, how they're doing it, how much it's about helping patients and how much it's just about researching something and getting paid for it. So mm-hmm. let's, let's not go into that today. Today we'll pretty much focus on, on PCR. So what happened in April 2020. So I moved to the West Coast in 2016. I started working at another um, cancer center. And in 2020, when we started, I was completely not paying attention to anything that was going on in China. I was busy with something like my whatever extracurricular activity that I was involved with. So when I don't work, I'm quite active in volunteering and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was completely not paying attention. Then all of a sudden we were locked up and we were staying home. So I'm like, wait a minute, something is, something is weird. Um, Luckily I came across Dr. Andrew Kaufman and I think was his interview with, 
I'd forget his name, the um, Spiro, I guess, the Greek guy who I haven't seen in a, in a while, but I heard Dr. Kaufman say, oh yeah, PCR is used for testing something along those lines. And the light went on, PCR, wait a minute, break, pull the break, wait, stop lady. Okay, <laughs> let's go digging. The first thing was PCR cannot work. And then the next click was, oh, who invented PCR? Because I knew who invented PCR. Oh, he was called a conspiracy theorist when I started digging Dr. Uh, stuff Wallace. about right. him. I started digging that up like 10 years ago or more, and he was called a conspiracy theorist. So, of course, I closed that, that you know, I closed that down. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to look into some conspiracy theorist. I'm, I was a reputable PhD at that point, uh -huh. 10 years ago, you know, I, could, I couldn't go down that route. Yeah. And to but 2020... That's I opened. Yep. That's very interesting, though, like that you were already kind of like fed that that story of him. I just want to know, like, where did that exactly come from? Because, you know, Carrie Mullis invented PCR technology. So they took his technology, but then tried to discredit him as a human being and <laughs> called him a conspiracy theorist. Yep. So where, yep. how did you first get, you know, acquainted with that idea that, that you shouldn't listen to this person? And Patrick, know? I don't know but everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I cannot point the date, the time, the nothing about when I first came across um, Carrie Malice and talking about HIV and AIDS, because this is what he was talking about, right? We know that. You can see why there's an impetus for like saying, if there's anybody that looks anything like an AIDS case, call it AIDS. And don't you listen to Carrie Mullis. He's against the state and humanity and your daughter. <laughs> That's, but AIDS is going away nonetheless, and if we stopped funding it, it would vanish overnight. Yeah. So I don't know when, who, how. I'm sure on Facebook somewhere, some of my conspiracy theorist friends that I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 no, 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 I cannot go down that path. But again, I came across everybody that I ever came across in my life has brought some stuff, some information that, yeah, even if at that point I didn't want to pay attention to, because again, you know, oh, I cannot go down certain routes, but yeah. at the end in 2020, it just started. And once those puzzle pieces started just flying in and they started connecting, I'm like, oh, okay, it all makes sense. So, and then I decided to, okay, looks like that nobody's talking about PCR the way it should be talked about. <laughs> I mean, really in detail, right? Because it's been my uh, bread and butter for so many years. So I'm like, okay, looks like I need to speak up. So mm -hmm. I started in Slovenia because, of course, I still have a job at the medical center. And I'm like, okay, talking in my native language that not many people speak will be easy for me to still go under the radar, <laughs> mm -hmm. keep my job, but then starting to wake people up. And then I started connecting with people in the US and then they, somebody put me in the infectious myth um, Facebook group. David Crow, somebody, right? He, or did he start that group he, or is that based on him? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if he started it, but um, I joined just after he passed. Okay. Just a few months after he passed. So I was commenting somewhere about PCR and actually was 
um, another PhD from Canada that found me and he goes, oh, are you aware of the germ theory and infectious myth? I'm like, what germ theory? What? <laughs> infectious myth? What? <laughs> Dump me in there. And then, you know, and then just, it just went and it just went. So. Interesting. So that was, so you started, people started bringing up, you know, little clues for you on, on germ theory and terrain. And, but before we go into that, what, you know, so what was your concept of, of PCR, you know, back then, and how were you seeing it being used, um, you know, in the media and when all this happened, because even right now people are lined up to get these PCR tests. That's what everybody is using to diagnose this so-called SARS-CoV-2 virus and all of its many variants at this point. Yep. So at that point, I was still not aware what's going on with virus. Does it exist? Does it not exist? I mean, I said, okay, the virus, let's say, I assume the virus exists, right? Okay, fine. So let's start there. Mm -hmm. So what can PCR do? So should should we just start with talking about PCR uh, following the presentation so we can sure. explain how PCR works? Yeah, whatever works. I mean, it's the, it's the easiest. Just give me sure. a second here so I jump on my first slide. Okay. So, okay. So, polymerase chain reaction, as you said, was invented by Kerry Mullis in 1983. Um, and the whole AIDS HIV started just a little bit before that, right? Mm -hmm. So, in the, at the beginning of the 80s. So, uh, they gave him Nobel Prize. He shared it with a certain Michael Smith also, that's also chemistry, in 1993. So... When I started working with PCR, I heard from my supervisor, oh, yeah, Kerry Mullis, the way he invented. So I still have this story fresh of my boss telling me about Kerry Mullis and how amazing this whole um, thing that he invented was, is, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And PCR is used for amplification, okay, of genetic material that's using two primers as starting points for polymerase touch, okay? So... <clears throat> This is just a scheme, let's say, what we throw in the reaction tube. So these are the primers that are short, usually uh, 18 to 20, 22 nucleotides. Uh, your whole DNA, piece of DNA can be long. Uh, here they say, oh, this viral genome for SARS-CoV-2 is 30,000 nucleotides long. Um, then we have separate nucleotides that will be incorporated by the polymerase to extend this um, piece as we are amplifying. Okay, so what are, so then we always hear about these cycles. Cycles, how many cycles they do, and then people start talking about, oh, cycles as centrifugation. No, it's not cycles, it's temperature cycles, not um moving cycles okay not okay. the centrifugation type of cycles so what happens is this so we have three steps we have denaturation at high temperature annealing and elongation so what does it mean uh so during the denaturation step so dna we are we are um 
we are not we are not going to talk about how first we need to transcribe rna because they say sars-cov-2 is an rna virus so let's keep the whole part when we need to create dna out of rna we'll get crazy if we go there but let's assume we have already created this piece of dna from uh the genome that's rna mm -hmm. so then we open the dna that's double-stranded okay so this is with the nature the dna and we anneal the two primers one will anneal to the area that's complementary on one strand and the other will anneal to the area that's complementary to the other strand one it's called forward and one it's called reverse okay, okay. and we do what's called extension. So polymerase will start adding nucleotides based on what is immediately after the primer. Okay, so if there is a G, it, it will put a C, A will put a T, and so on and so forth. That's kind of chemistry that they're telling us this is how it works. Okay, so then what happens? Um, you again, you do, so this is the first cycle. Okay, then you do the second cycle and it all happens again. Just that at the beginning you had one molecule, let's say, then you have two. So two molecules will open, it will anneal, and then at the end what will happen? You will have a certain number of molecules that have on the left-hand side, on the left-hand side the beginning is the primer that is called forward, and on the right-hand side the end is the reverse primer. Okay, so it's, we always have a product that's of a specific length. So it doesn't matter in this case that much, but um, the point is this, we are amplifying. Okay, we are amplifying something um, mm -hmm. that we know what we put in, and we usually, when we use it as a tool, as a molecular biology tool, we put in the tube a very high amount of DNA because let's let's look at okay so you see how it works i mean it's an exp exponential amplification okay so if you start with one molecule during uh, after the first cycle you have two after 10 cycles you have thousand after 20 you have a million and i mean after 30 this is a billion right wow. so you can only imagine, and they are doing what we are hearing is that they're doing 40, 50. Somebody at one point said, oh, Yerne, I heard they're doing 200 cycles in the Philippines. So wow. I'm not spreading that news, but the lady was from the Philippines. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's just, even if we just stick with 45, yeah, just do the math. What comes at 45, right? Right. And so... So through a process of heating, essentially, they are amplifying, you know, like one molecule into like potentially billions based on the cycle, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. It's the polymerase that's the enzyme that adds nucleotides okay. to this whole, this whole thing. So in, in this case, then what happens? Because it's the, it's the real-time PCR that they're using. So the real PCR um, has another primer that sits between the forward and the reverse that will eventually emit. So then you create the product, the light is emitted. Okay, so for two molecules, you have a certain amount of light. For 1,000, you have a different amount of light and so on and so forth. And this is linear. I mean, 
the one molecule will produce an X amount of photons or whatever, um, right? The, the, the emitting of light, okay? So the instrument can only measure the light when it's higher than a certain number. So let's assume that the instrument can only measure the light that comes from, let's say 30, 32 million molecules, okay? So you will only see something 25 cycles when you started with one molecule, and you will see something the lower number of cycles when you started with 10. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. you need to amplify for less cycles when you have more DNA you're starting with. Right, sure. Okay, so this is just a, a, a small scheme that I created. So let's assume, I mean, this was probably in May 2020 when I was so frustrated. I wanted to be telling everybody about, look, because what they don't know, what's not clear, let's say even if they say, okay, we take the sample from the person, we stick it in the tube, and in the case of the person one, we have positive test. So this threshold is, um, is stepped over. Sorry, I don't know how to say it now in English, but um, to actually detect, okay, this is a positive test because your instrument is detecting the light, okay? Mm -hmm. So in this person, it happens at 13 cycles. In this person where there was less um, starting material, it's at 22. In this person, it's at 33. In this person, is over 40. So, but um, one thing that most people don't know is that, so first, how do we know um, if the amount that we took for being so big is because we really swabbed really thoroughly mm -hmm. the nasal cavity or because there is so much, let's call it viral load. I put it in quotes, but just to, you know, yeah. to understand what we're talking about. So yeah. there is no what we call internal control. So you don't know if you have a lot of stuff because there was a lot or just because you went digging. I mean, I can find a lot of money if my, in my bank account if I go and take out everything, right? <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, compared to what some people have, it's like, yeah, they just go and scratch the surface and they get that amount, you know? So yeah. that's, that's kind of, that could be the uh, comparison, right? Oh. So, but one thing that most people are not aware of is, but my students are, don't, I mean... <laughs> So here, the, the, what I wrote, if you do enough cycles, everything can amplify, even clean water. So yeah. you theoretically, you have water that has been um, treated with, with chemicals, with, with uh, temperature. You know that nothing alive is in there. I mean, nothing that would be a template for the polymerase and all of that stuff. And you still amplify something. So usually i mean this signal this signal here is usually also not the same as this one so even if you have a signal the product doesn't look the same 
Okay, so when you go and look at really the product, the size of the product, it's not the same. But they don't look at that. They just see, oh, we have a positive signal. So the person is positive. Okay, all those cases, you know, LA County, everybody has, is a case pretty much. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, right? Mm -hmm. So this is how they kind of created positives. If, even if we just assume, okay, the virus is there, the virus is something that exists. Mm -hmm. But again, you cannot really with the PCR amplification uh, understand what's going on there. Right. I, yeah, I've seen them. I've seen tap water get a positive signal. I've seen uh, orange juice. Uh, I mean, all manner of things have have uh, turned positive. So what's what's happening in that process when we see these these kind of arbitrary things test positive? So I guess that uh, for when you say the orange juice, I guess that happened with the, um, the other test with the antibody test. OK, that is that is a question that I've been having because we know that what an antibody is, is kind of questionable. So what that reaction is, is again questionable. At one point it came to me, is it just the change of pH that you get? So if you use orange juice, if you use um, apple cider, I think it was apple cider also in Austria that they tested positive. Mm -hmm. So in I'm, I'm not at all the expert of antibodies and all those tests, but I'm questioning, is it really just the pH? It could be then also the pH of your, of your um, sample, let's say the spit or whatever. It could also be that that makes it positive. But in this case, nobody really knows what's making it positive. I mean, nobody knows what we are amplifying because well, we know they just take the swab and in that swab there is everything and a little bit more than everything. Mm -hmm. Right. So one thing that they have never done is actually, so again, let's assume the virus has been isolated and properly purified. And, you know, let's assume we have these little things in our purified water. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. Maybe we need a few salts in there for everything to stick together. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, what they have never done is definitely this, right? So they would need to make serial dilutions of this virus and then run with that aliquot. With, with, the, with a part of it, they would need to run the RT-PCR and determine how many cycles are needed to test positive, to give the positive signal, right? So let's say when there is a small amount, the CT value, so the number of cycles would be 32, and... And they would need to infect somebody with it. So is the person with that amount of virus getting sick or not? And so one would say, okay, maybe nobody would get sick here. So 32, maybe somebody would start maybe getting sick with 29, mm -hmm. but probably, okay, let's say definitely with uh, everything 23 and below. So a high load of virus, people get sick. Then again, even if they try this, 
even if the virus was there, maybe in one person would get sick with 23 cycles, in another person with 22. Oh, but it's your immune system that's different. I mean, they always would find all sorts of excuses. So whenever they just said, oh, positive, independent of the number of CT of these cycles, mm -hmm. positive is positive, people stay home, um, close the door, don't go out. I mean, it's all so, just So it fear. doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you know, um, clinically ill or, or that you're, you know, infected or whatever. And even Fauci famously said in, a, in an interview, uh, anything over 35 cycles, you're just finding dead nucleotides at that point. If you get a cycle threshold of 35 or more, that the chances of it being replication competent are minuscule. Mm. So that if somebody, and you know, we do, we have patients, and it's very frustrating for the patients as well as for the physicians. Somebody comes in and they repeat their PCR, and it's like 37 cycle threshold. But you never, it, you almost never can culture virus yeah. from a 37 threshold cycle. So the, I think if somebody does come in with 37, 38, even 36, you got to say, you know, it's just, it's just dead nucleotides, period. Mm. So they, so they never yeah. did like any kind of like measurement on what exact, how much would, would cause what, if it's a worry at all. Exactly. Right. Okay. exactly. They've never tried any of that. Then another thing, it's again, I mean, so much deception. It's not, it's really not even funny. And what really bothers me is people, let's say fellow PhDs that have been working with PCR for decades. Some of them that I know, they work with PCR as their job. I mean, for me, PCR is just a tool that I use every once in a while, but some of them are lab technicians. And the only thing that they do is just run PCR uh, reactions, okay? Yeah. And they were arguing with me and my husband that, oh, no, no, PCR can definitely diagnose this SARS-CoV-2. Um, I really don't understand why they don't want to see, but that's, I mean, that's between them and Somewhere. somebody else. <laughs> there. I what, mean, so you know? what is their what is their argument exactly though? Why do they believe that it can? Do do is there any kind of logic to it? No, there is no logic because you actually cannot talk to them. So yeah. you understand, you cannot talk to those people. So a friend of mine sent somebody a paper and said please look into this and he just got i mean a published paper a peer-reviewed blah 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 all of the you know what they really usually want to see and now pretty much shut her down and i think um canceled her from the whatsapp or wherever they were communicating so i mean it's complete insanity yeah so so here what i'm trying to share is a very important what is he epidemiologist no he's not epidemiologist i think a virologist or something along those lines a professor doctor in slovenia he mm -hmm. was claiming oh yeah with pcr we can actually quantify so you take the sample okay you would take the sample on day zero 
or let's say this is weeks, right? So on day zero, then maybe on fifth day, and then on the seventh day, and you would see how it goes up and then it goes down. So you could quantify the virus. Mm -hmm. As I said before, everybody also that runs real-time PCR should know better. They should understand that if we don't have an internal control, we don't know if this CT value that is moving depending on how much something we pulled out from someone's nose or whatever, the, the sample we took, we don't have an internal control. So we don't know if we pulled the amount that's, that was small to start with or somebody was just lazy and didn't scrape um, enough material. So mm -hmm. it's really, if you don't have something that we call internal control, you cannot do a real um, quantification of something that you're looking for. So, I mean, let's not get us confused because we don't even have the virus. So, I mean, we know that, right? Yes. But even for people that say the way I was at the beginning of this, because, okay, yeah, I really thought there was a virus. Okay, fine. But I immediately knew PCR was not the way to diagnose it or to, to say who's a case, who's not. So I really don't understand what some people are doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about, is that the same as when they say, um, you know, there's no gold standard as far as this test? Yes. Yeah. So that's the thing. So what deception, more deception. So what they say, because you always have to have a negative control when you run, let's say you usually would run 96 samples. Okay, you would run 96 samples. This is how the instruments are set. It's 12 times 8 because it's kind of on a plate. Uh, and on that plate, on every plate, you need to have a positive control and a negative control. So if the negative control shines, you need to say something went wrong. Maybe my I contaminated all the samples because maybe... Uh, some chemical was contaminated, so the whole plate is to be tossed. I mean, all the results need to go because if negative control is positive, what's going on? Right. And the other way around, if positive control is negative, again, oh, maybe I didn't turn. Uh, sometimes these machines break as the thermal control. So the temperature is actually not going the way it should be going. So at that point, you're like, oh, maybe my, my machine broke. So if your positive control is negative, then again, everything is tossed. So what should be a positive control? The positive control should be a certain amount of viral genome. Viral genome as physical viral genome not what we will talk about they've done because i have also the my continuation of, of the presentation is on how they really sequence this thing yes, so it should be it should be the viral genome right mm -hmm. and they don't have it so what they use they um synthesized the sequence that they are targeting with these primers so yes, they're putting in a positive control. So that positive control is really just telling if, you know, if they turned on the heat or not, whatever. But that positive control is a lab synthesized sequence. So, I mean, 
that is really no gold standard, no nothing. I mean, they're using as gold standard something that they synthesized in the lab because they needed that sequence to confirm something. These I mean, the it's, primers you're talking about? Uh, yes. So probably, so using maybe the primers that they're using to confirm if somebody's positive, they also probably created a lot of this DNA template that then use for positive control. Okay, if that makes sense. So let me go back. So what you can do, what you can do is actually, you can purify the final product. It would be this. And you can actually use this as the positive control. So every time if you put, and I, I cannot move. Uh, if you put this at the beginning, and start using it with the primers that are actually in here, you will amplify it. So yeah, it will be your positive control, but that positive control means nothing. You're amplifying something that you constructed with the primers that you're using to confirm the case. Okay. I mean, does that make sense? Kind of. It doesn't. So this... I mean, <laughs> makes sense to them, but it oh, doesn't right. make sense scientifically. Right, right, right. right. Uh, but so how are they coming up with these primers to begin with is what I'm confused on. So let's go, I mean, talk to Dr. Drosten. Right? I mean, <laughs> call him up and yeah, we'll have yes. a chat. So let's go with this. What happened in Wuhan? So this is actually the first paper that came out, the famous yes. bank paper, right? In what was this? Is this nature? I think this I is believe nature. it was nature, based, yes. Based on the how it looks, I think it's nature. So, um, I mean, this is insanity. I finally went to look back uh, into this only last year. So at first I was just, okay, yeah, I was listening to Dr. Lanka. I didn't even want to. And then reading what um, other people were writing about it. So I didn't even want to go and research. But then I had to write a kind of an article in my language about it. So I'm like, okay, I need to go to write everything correctly. I need to go and look for myself. Mm -hmm. So somebody comes to the hospital on December 26th in 2019 with severe respiratory syndrome that included fever, dizziness, and cough. I think we've all had severe respiratory syndrome at some point with fever, dizziness, and cough. I mean... Yeah. You know, you're tired, you, you work too much, you're too stressed, and then all this stuff creeps up, right? Mm -hmm. But what did they do? They actually kind of looked with, I think it's again, I probably it's again some PCR or some sort of a test. They were looking for flu virus and this virus and that virus and adenoviruses. They didn't find anything, at least this is what they say. But as a scientist, I'm telling you, I've published in peer-reviewed papers and I read peer-reviewed papers to do my, to continue my research, right? So I base my research on some peer-reviewed pa peer papers by somebody else, right? And very often what they write in there is probably not what, they, what happened. So I'm questioning how they really looked for those adenoviruses that they say they didn't find, okay? I'm just questioning everything. Because that was my question. They, how, do, how did they look for these? Yeah, that's the question also. I mean, yeah. 
The PCR, what they do, I don't know exactly what the tests are to find those adenoviruses, right? So yeah. that's, that's all another story. We would need to talk to them, but you know, probably they wouldn't be willing to talk to us because, oh boy. So right. what do they do? That's the word, metagenomic RNA sequencing, okay? Of this um, uh, fluid that they took, so on and so forth. And they found this, what's called SARS-CoV-2. And yeah, everybody was happy. <laughs> so, so what they actually did, I mean, at, at one point it was becoming clear. It's the same playbook as they had for AIDS. Symptoms are COVID, RNA sequencing or PCR. Oh, look, this is the cause. Again, the same for AIDS. People were like falling sick. They were having some sort of symptoms. They called them AIDS. PCR, carimalis. Oh, look, there is HIV. Yeah, and everybody's claiming the HIV was isolated. And now we have a very severe variant of HIV, right? Very severe. It's crazy. Um, yeah. Luc Montagnier, again, I mean, we are rehashing all of that. So we won't sidetrack. Maybe we can talk about it uh, at the end, but let's go into right. how they do this metagenomic sequencing. Right. But so, just, to, just to recap, so what you're talking about is, you know, in China, when this whole thing started, they found a sick person with symptoms, same symptoms anybody would have with a cold, flu, whatever. They assumed that he had a virus, right? A new, they yeah. assumed he had a new virus. Yes. And yeah. then they, I think they, they stuck it in a computer, right? And then they later tested it with PCR. So let me tell you how you stick it in the computer. Okay. okay? Yeah. So this is how you stick it in the computer. Okay. So All right, good. Let's assume that the target genome of, of 30,000 nucleotides that they say it exists for um, this virus. Let's assume it's in your sample. Okay. It's in your sample, but it's in your sample together with a lot of other genetic material and other stuff, because this is just how it works. When you swab, you take everything. Yeah. And we know that they didn't separate viral particles with the rest from the rest, right? Mm -hmm. So what they do, oh, this is so convenient. You just chop everything up into thousand little pieces so they actually chop the genome of let's assume 30,000 nucleotides they would chop it in 100 to 150 nucleotide sections okay so and then it's of course it's not only one molecule of genome right it's many so it's a lot of them so as if I grab um, several different puzzles that are very similar, like the, the big ones, the thousand piece puzzles or the crazy ones, the 5,000 piece puzzles, right? Mm -hmm. And they all have some sort of a sky somewhere and maybe some sort of an ocean. You pretty much throw all of those boxes, you mix all of those boxes together and then you say, okay, now make them all separate, right? Like make the puzzle of whatever the... Mm -hmm. the, the um, LA somewhere, uh, ocean or something, and so on and so forth. Will you be able to do that? Of course you won't. But they say the computer is able to sort and figure out and pull the pieces, these little pieces, and construct the puzzle back. Okay. So what they don't talk about is, so they do that by overlaying these pieces, 
right? So they say, okay, because the end of this one looks like the end of this one. So these two go together and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. But imagine, I mean, we are talking about here, we're talking about a few molecules, right? Just a few. So you can only imagine in, in the whole sample, we are talking about billions and billions and billions of things. And one thing that is interesting, always gaps, always gaps. I've done, I've been doing next generation sequencing. So this is called metagenomic or next generation sequencing. Luckily, again, everything happens for a reason. I started working in a kind of the lab that works on human genetics. So I've been exposed to next generation sequencing since 2008. So again, that helped me understand, oh, what are they doing? So uh, when they say, oh yeah, then we found this genome that's what? 80% similar to the bad coronavirus because what you do, you then align these pieces to something that you already know. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So mm-hmm. you will kind of say, oh, yeah, but it's similar to this. Uh, but you align it to something that you put there. So they put there a bad coronavirus, I think. I mean, don't don't hold me for whatever. But they kind of said, oh, it probably is. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's similar to this one, 80%. Uh, DNA of humans and pigs is very similar. And uh-huh. we don't look the same. I mean... Most animals or or even chimpanzees, we don't look the same at all. We don't do same thing. So, I mean, what are they doing? So essentially they have an output that they're going for, right? And they're trying to bend and mold these puzzle pieces into um, fitting into that output, right? Into yeah. that final product, which is yeah. the, the virus genome. So when they're, they're kind of like molding and fitting and filling to uh, to whatever will end up being that 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 genome that they want zach yep. okay yep. i think just a few days ago i think it was our friend mike stone on facebook he posted this image of i think it was bart simpson or the homer i don't remember putting the two puzzle pieces together that don't fit and then you get so mad because you think they should fit and then you just you know, you just hammer on them. You guys need to stick together. This is how this works. I mean, this is how it works. So really, we have no proof that this genome really exists outside the computer. We have no proof. It's just the whole sequence is just what they constructed via a computer model. Uh, in I mean, in a computer, right? right. So... And what is funny is very often scientists that I work with, they always criticize other people and say, oh, garbage in, garbage out. It's always about other people. The problem is the three fingers always point back at you when you point at somebody. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing more and more that, yeah, they point at others, but they don't realize they're doing exactly the same thing. Garbage in, garbage out. I mean, this is really feeding garbage to a computer and computer will give you something. 
Right. And so the, but the genome that they're going for was, wasn't it modeled after SARS-CoV-1 that they got from some gen bank, like, because it's in silico, yeah. right? Like what's yeah. that whole deal with that? Yes. So again, um, I didn't go back and look at how they got the SARS-CoV-1. So, but again, this one was based on, oh yeah, it looks like that. So it's also in silico. It's also in silico. So yeah. how did they come to this? And in silico, we know it's in the computer, right? So for people that don't, we are carbon, yeah. silicon is computer. So, I mean, I didn't go and investigate back to that point, but I know, I mean, they had to do this, do that, put pieces together, glue them and say, oh yeah, this looks kind of similar to that. Okay, let's go. Yeah, that's SARS-CoV-1 genome. And that's it. So. Right. I think pretty much from, from my research, what they're doing is they're piggybacking off of the last genome or, you know, some other virus template that exists only in a computer. And it just like, you know, it just gets piggybacked and piggybacked and piggybacked. And like, you know, there's never, it never leads back to an actual real virus particle. Yes. Yes. And a a lot of time, this is how research works, right? I mean, when I was a young um, undergrad and I came to the lab, they give me the basis. They say, these are kind of facts, you know, this is what we've discovered until now. And now you build on that, right? And as a young student, I mean, when you are 22, 23, not experienced at all in research, you pretty much just go and follow, right? You Mm -hmm. just assume, uh, I mean, you probably will have to repeat something and recreate and usually it works, but you never go back and say, but wait a minute. So let's say you are an undergrad in the nineties. You don't go back into the seventies or the sixties and be like, oh, but already back there, there is a mistake. So nobody does that, right? Because again, what, will you go and knock on your boss's door who is, uh, you know, an established professor and tell them, look, everything is built on, um, on, on foundation that is kind of right. not really standing properly. So claims that have don't... never been validated, right? So you just assume that these things have been validated. And that, that's really funny because so much acclaim goes to, you know, these people who go through the institutions and they, you know, they get these degrees, but, you know, they're put into this very like narrow, uh, these very narrow parameters to operate within, right? And, you know, within that, there are a lot of invalidated or claims that have never been validated. So they just assume that that is correct. And then they continue on with their studies without ever knowing the foundation is flawed. Yep. And it's, it's narrow parameters. And then another thing is we get so down into, I'm a molecular biologist and I'm only supposed to work on a certain type of cancer, but not even the whole cancer, just a certain type of cell, but not the whole cell, just a certain type of protein in that cell of that cancer. I mean, it's what they've been doing over the years. It's more and more, um, narrow-minded more and more so you don't even you're even afraid to look outside and be like oh but what if oh but it's compartmentalized right yes 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 
But then what they do, again, it's all the rich man's trick, what they do now, they've, they've put us in these silos, right? So I'm a molecular biologist that I speak a molecular biologist language. Mm -hmm. And then they put us together with bioinformatics people that are the ones that run the computer for this metagenomics sequencing, mm -hmm. okay? And now the two of us, we cannot understand each other because we've been trained in a way. I know my language. It would be like legalese, right? People yeah. that, I mean, if I'm not a, a lawyer, I will never understand what they're talking about, right? Yeah. So it's really hard to find a bioinformatician. First, they don't know biology. They pretty much just go with models and stuff, and then they don't speak biology language, or I mean the same language that I speak. So, so now they've created this illusion because now they are more and more building labs that are open, kind of open floor, uh, where yeah, yeah, then different labs they can interact, they can yeah, they can interact because we are in the same space. But can we really interact when we really talk? I mean, right. if the transmitter is like this and the receiver is like this, if we are at 90 degrees, never going to work, right? They yeah, will just keep doing their thing. I will keep doing my thing. And that's that. Yeah, I get I get the feeling that if all those like, you know, uh, departments got together and tried to like communicate that it would just be like it would just fall apart because everyone's working on this very like isolated subject, right? the whole thing would fall apart. The right. whole illusion would fall apart. That's why we are not supposed to be talking to each other. And mm. that's why we had to also stay home because some of us were really dangerous. If I really went in person and talked to some people at work at the beginning, because I do have some people that listen to me because they're like, okay, Yernea is always jumping into help. I was always the per first person that would help the new, whatever, the new student, like they need something. I'm always the one to help, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of people respect what I have to say, right? So mm -hmm. if I went there and would be like, listen, guys, this whole cases thing is huh, questionable. Maybe some of them would listen. So it's like, it's better to keep us separated on so many levels, right? Yeah. So let me, let me explain this thing because this is yeah. in the paper, okay? This is, this is so interesting that's in the paper. They put the truth right out there and people they don't want to see don't see. I mean, they just don't see it. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did they do the analysis of those little reads, like all of that stuff, right? So they have... 56 million of those short 100, 150 nucleotide reads. Okay, 56 and a half, so almost 57 million. Mm -hmm. And they throw them into two different software programs, MegaHit and Trinity. Okay, so one of them generated the assembled context. So you kind of can assemble these little reads into longer what are called contigs, right? Mm -hmm. So it generated 384,000, where the size goes from 200 to 30,000. The other program generated a million and some, and the size goes from 200 to 11,000. Okay, so first question, how can the same pieces, the same everything, create 
they don't even come to the same one creates something that is 30,000 and one stops at 11,000. So they just assume that this is correct, that the 30,000 is what they're looking for. I mean, they just assume. So in my mind, if two different uh, programs come up with two completely different, let's call them genomes. At this point, let's say you can assume that the longest one is the genome of this virus, okay? Mm-hmm. 30,000 here and 11,000 here. So how can it be It's the same virus, it's the same reads, it's the same everything, just fed into two different computers? So the scientists, if they were really scientists, not just after, I don't know what they are after, but that's mm-hmm. a different point, right? They should say, wait a minute. So if I don't think that this is my viral genome, what tells me that this is my viral genome? What tells me that this is assembled properly? I mean, they just assume, they assume, they assume this, they assume that. They assume so many things. They just pick the longest one, essentially, right? They just pick the one that was the most interesting and the closest (laughs) to what they really needed. So, yeah, that's that's how they roll. And you see here, so I actually pull out when you go, so we say 56 million is how many reads they had, right? Then what they do, they actually filter out not human reads. So they assemble these reads to the human genome. Where does it say? Wait a second. Yes, so they use the human genome to filter out what is not human. Okay, so again, here now you need to be doing the subtraction in your head. So they remove what is non-human. So it actually stays that 32 million of those reads were actually for humans, from humans, from human genome. So what does this, this confirm? It confirms that this sample has never been purified right. because it's, it's dirty. It's yeah. dirty. So yeah. even if we don't know what it is, I mean, Uh, Even if we don't know, but it's clear, they're telling you there were pieces from human, uh, from from human cells, right? Mm -hmm. So this is pretty much, I mean, why nobody is talking about it? I mean, I know that some of us are talking about it, but why my scientist friends who still believe in this whole thing and are wearing double mask with triple jab, I don't understand where their brain went. I mean, I understand the fear, but is it the fear? Is it the greed? Is it the, is it the fear of losing what you've been told is the truth? But again, we know it's a lie, mm-hmm. but you've built your career on it. I mean, it's tough, but then again, if you know what's going on and what we are up against and what we are really standing for now by exposing the lies and just going with the truth. I mean, I don't know what's up with people. Yeah. There's definitely a point that a lot of people kind of stop at um, because it becomes uncomfortable. You know, they just go into this, this dissonance. uh, The cognitive dissonance is strong. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. So, 
So there is this paper that you, I'm sure that you know about, the corman Drosten review, yes. right? That's mm -hmm. the one that they were like, I mean, I, I even sent them an email and um, said you can be a part of the, because they were just looking for more co-authors that would kind of approve. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, it's too early for me. I still need to keep my job. But I mean, they've done a, a great job. They've analyzed just the PCR part, how many flaws are just in the PCR test. Mm -hmm. And they actually talk about the primers, how they were designed and everything. So the primers were pretty much picked based on this SARS-CoV-1 uh, sequence, again, right. that you mentioned earlier, that is also, again, just in the, in, in silicon, just in the computer. So, right. Uh, and definitely, so this paper was sent to the same, um, what's it called, European something something, Euro surveillance, okay. uh, at the end of November 2020, where the uh, Drosten paper was published, and definitely was rejected. He said it doesn't kind of fit in because the truth shouldn't come out. So that's that's that. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's that's what I yeah that's what I have. So mm -hmm. fascinating. So yeah, so Drosten, you know, he came up with this test before he even had a virus, and um, and there, you know, any other point of view was not really allowed. Yep, yep, and nobody's questioning how, and nobody's questioning why. Um, a lot of, I'm running into all sorts of problems with people that know this whole thing is a hoax, yeah. but they will lose all of the followers if they said that the virus doesn't exist, that the disease is actually due to other things. Yeah. So they don't want to go there because a lot of them are trying to get into some positions, political mm. positions back in my country. So that's pretty much it. They will not tell the truth because you lose people. But then again, only truth will set us free. Yeah. I don't think their positions are going to be around for very long anyway, if they allow this to continue. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The crazy so, thing. Yeah. What's the point? I mean, I also have kind of, I'm really wondering how people don't see what's really going on. The ones that again, know that it's, all a lie and a hoax, and they are still scared about their medical licenses. I mean, medical licenses will go one way or the other. Yeah. If this is the great reset, reset, we definitely don't need so many doctors because, you know, they can, the computer can diagnose you. I mean, the way they're doing things, you just tell the symptoms and they will send you a box of, you know, drugs and you'll be set for life, right? Yeah. I mean... And yeah, at home all, testing, HIV testing at all home of starting that. now. Yeah, all of that, all yeah. of that. So, but then again, if we are on the other path of the great awakening, because we, which I'm a little bit more prone to, we won't need those doctors anyway. We won't need those doctors anyway, because what have they been doing? Giving us drugs for every little thing, instead of saying, just go freaking lay down, <laughs> drink some water you know just rest and you will be fine you'll yeah. be just fine and i mean all the not to talk about all the chemotherapy and radiation for cancer i mean we don't want to go there we need none of that 
we need none of that so so where along your journey in all of this did you start to figure out you know um that germ theory was just kind of inherently wrong um and where like where do you stand on that now i mean i don't know what i came across before i mean definitely my friend in june 2020 sent me a paper from uh, dr lanka yeah in the paper of course it says you know viruses don't exist and i'm like uh, i don't know if i can go there you know i'm i'm a scientist. give me a second here i need okay. to sleep on this you know so i slept on it for a few weeks and then it was more and more clear okay yeah yeah that's true nothing makes sense right and i don't know if it was through infectious myth facebook group if it was then even just finding definitely one thing that i listened to was the video that again dr kaufman had on his website about the rockefeller the the medicine yeah so once you go down that path and then you know the rockefellers and the banking system and this and that i mean again it's not i'm not thinking linear anymore it's all one thing on top of the other so i don't know what came first the Mm. infectious myth group or um the whole connection of ama with the rockefellers and all of that so it's like it all started coming together at some point this was all in the summer of 2020 so it's clear that everything is connected it's all about who's funding what and for what reason and again when people say oh it's for them to make money no they can print as much money (laughs) as they want yeah it's for them to keep us as sick as possible as miserable as possible yeah that's about it because once you learn about how this thing really works and what the reality feeds off of which is our energy of misery then it becomes clear why we are in this position which is i mean everybody's working 155 jobs and they're barely able to pay the the rent they're barely able to pay gas right now i mean what's going on with gas so everything's getting out of control it's crazy Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. but yeah you inevitably you know looking into this stuff you realize that it's so inverted um compared to the way that you know, it's supposed to work and our bodies work. It's so, so inverted on, you know, everything's flipped on its head and it's really, it's a business. And if they gave out cures, then that business would cease to exist. You know, I think people forgot, I think people, even people on the far left realize this, they know this, but they somehow have bought into the lie, you know, because of this, this fear that's been promulgated there's virus fear and all of this. They've forgotten that that it's a it's really a death care system. It's not it's not health care and it's not to make you well. It's you know when the cycle of sickness and death ends, then their business goes under. And I don't think they want that. Definitely, definitely, they don't want that. So I'm still analyzing how I did manage to get into almost extreme left over time. <laughs> I mean, I, it's weird because I was definitely not raised that way. 
I was definitely raised in former Yugoslavia, yeah, in Yugoslavia. a socialist country. I was raised the opposite way. My parents were completely against that type of system. So I'm really not sure how, once I moved to the US, slowly, slowly, I ended up on the, I mean, I'm in academia, right? So yeah. I'm in academia. So they slowly made me believe certain things, right? Yeah. But I don't understand how my, at this point, mostly former friends, how they don't see they were always screaming we're against the establishment we're against this we're against that so on and so forth and now all of a sudden most of them triple jabbed i mean just supporting the whole thing I'm, i don't know what's going on and they know that the medical system is not good but yeah. then again now they're supporting it and now they think that yeah the medical system wants to cure everybody with this jab thing i mean yeah. i don't know where the disconnect is but i mean the cognitive dissonance is strong yeah and at one point it will break it will break i mean each person has their own wall where it really that they hit and then it breaks so we are just we just have to be patient and wait and things will happen some people are already seeing that they made a mistake they don't want yeah. to get the third jab I hope more people start to realize and kind of snap out of it. And some people seem to just be in it, in it for the, <laughs> for the long haul. Um, it's very strange, but yeah, I think if there's any sickness, it's this, you know, like political identity, like these ideologies that are floating around, you know, whether left or right, although the left seems to be more pervasive, you know, I'm not, I'm not for any of them, but I, I did get myself caught up in it. You know, in the past, I was definitely more like veering toward the left on certain things. And I realized that it was like, that whole thing was really just about like, I think that they, they want you to believe that at the core foundation, it's like caring about other people, but they indoctrinate you with this like collectivism, you know, which is really just socialism um, repackaged type of ideology. And, and then pretty soon, like you become addicted to that, to becoming this, like the best person that you can be to the point where you end up being a total piece of crap. And, you know, like you're the, the exact opposite of yeah. what a caring and like intellectual person should be. Um, it re it's really like this kind of very strange snowball effect. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. I perfectly agree. I mean, they got good people, not that the other ones are not good, but they got mm -hmm. some people that kind of maybe, maybe we were not confident in who we are but we see i mean i can describe myself maybe why i fell for certain things right so yeah. i maybe was not sure who i was right yeah but i knew i was a good person because everybody's like yeah i'm a good person i mean well you know this and that so they pretty much get you in because yeah you're you want to do well i mean i know that i went into um cancer center i was really happy when i got this postdoctoral fellowship in the cancer center i'm like oh yeah this is really good we're gonna help this and that and blah blah i mean they catch a lot of really good people in a really demonic system mm. bad and broken is not bad enough in a demonic system because yeah. this is what it is because when you say it's upside down it is upside down everything is upside yes. down when i snapped out of it I really, I still remember I was sitting here at my table and I was 
oh, it's upside down. That's why I was always, when my parents would tell me, don't do that, I would exactly do that. When my parents would tell me, it was always the opposite. It was always the opposite. And I'm like, oh, so deep down somewhere, I knew that something is not right. And it's completely, everything is inverted. So if you come across something that's really, really, really promoted by the system, you definitely, definitely becomes clear. It's exactly the opposite. Right. It's exactly the opposite. I mean, we don't even need to do research. It's just so easy. I mean, it's easy. Yeah. And I don't know how your parents were growing up, but my parents also came from socialist Romania. You know, they basically had a dictator and a lot of the stuff they told me growing up, you know, ended up being, you know, I thought they were just like kind of crazy. You know, they're my, they're always like, you know, you don't need to go to a doctor. Like, don't listen, don't take these medications. Stop taking so much like Advil or, you know, whatever. And I was like, OK, like whatever. Like I have a headache. I'm going to take it. But, you know, there was a lot of truth to what they were saying. Um, medications will ultimately just harm you. Like, yes, we need them sometimes. But, um, you know, it's important as long as you have the, the realization that they are ultimately there. To, they're causing you, you know, more more problems than in the just suppressing symptoms, which is symptoms are our body trying to help us. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, we were we were not doing much medications. I mean, I know that when I had, I mean, that was still treated with antibiotics, the um, kind of um, re, not sore throat, but like really what the staff probably whatever. So mm. that made yeah was treated, but high fever. Oh boy, I still remember um, um, vinegar and water on a towel on my feet, and then covered up to here you have to sweat that was like wow that was like hell but boy it helped two days fever gone back to normal i mean i remember it as a really you know like torture but now i think about it's really this is the way to go i mean you know at, at first you do not decrease the temperature but if it's really it goes for too long right if it's way high at some point you need to do something especially if kids are small so and i thought that my mom was crazy but now i'm like oh yeah maybe she knew something that you know people especially on on this side of the atlantic maybe they forgot (laughs) over time right i mean that's that's the thing i mean and the same was with it's clear that the way we were raised we were eating certain things right then I come to the US and I'm like, everybody's all about fast food and this and that. And I'm like, what? Cooking at home? Cooking, doing our, you know, whatever it is, vegetables, this and that. No, we are not doing that. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, and we're drinking Coke. Yeah, fine. I mean, Coke. I know that I was drinking it for a couple of years. I got addicted. Yeah. Sugar. It's all those flavors right all of that stuff i mean it's addictive we know that but oh boy and they never you know they never say a thing about like eating healthy or you know what to avoid in your diet or you know all the processed crap in our food like you you know and i don't care what diet you like whether you're a vegan or a meat eater or whatever but like we're you know the the point is i think a lot of people are just eating crap you know processed crap so if you remove that you're ultimately you know way better off Yeah. It's all about confusion. It's all about confusion. I mean, then people hear this and hear that. I mean, the the whole 
um, USDA, the my plate or whatever it is, right? I mean, it's also confusing. I just reviewed it a few days ago. They put fruits, vegetables, grains, and then they put protein. I mean, it's it's like what is protein? Fruit, I know what it is. I mean, it's an apple. I mean, it's like they, they confuse everybody, right? And then yeah. the amount of processed. So what I had just came to the terms with everything that is FDA approved, even if it's FDA approved, should never enter our body. Full stop. It's, yeah. Just yeah. full stop. I mean, that's yeah. it. Nothing. Nothing. If it's a medication, if it's a preservative, if it's a something, something, an additive to nothing. Oh, yeah, but TNA is FDA approved. Uh, yeah, I know who FDA is yeah, and you look who they're working the... for. So. Easy. Yeah, they're just an arm of like, you know, big pharma, big food, right? I mean, yeah, one plus one done? equals two, one plus one equals two. And that's <laughs> it. I mean, and it's not racist. I mean, math is not racist. Let's put that out there. I'm <laughs> just saying, just saying, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't understand that whole argument either. The math, math is racist. Everything is racist now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's amazing people don't look into this, you know, these institutions that we've come to trust and with our health and, and welfare. And it, you know, it's very easy to find out that they're not, they're not there to benefit you in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And we kind of knew this, you know, like we, we visited this even in movies and like about HIV and stuff like, what was that movie with Matthew McConaughey? Um, we had HIV, you know, they made a big thing about FDA in that movie and like, you know, how FDA, you know, just screwed everybody. But we quickly forgot that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's out there. It's yeah. out there. I mean, I remember one episode of the, the, the second series of the X-Files. So I was not into, I mean, I watched them, you know, the first series or whatever. But then I remember at one point I was watching the second series and they said something that I knew it was the truth. And I'm like... Oh, so what? In the X-Files, they put truth? So at that point, I started looking. Oh, so what if everything that they put there that is so crazy is actually the truth? I mean, that that opened my eyes a little bit, you know? I mean, everything that I came across over the last, definitely the last 10 years, let's say. Yeah. Everything opened my eyes a little bit, a little bit. Or the crazy friend that posted some crazy, you know, conspiracy theory that I'm like... Oh, I don't know about that, but you know, it got stored in my subconscious somewhere. Yeah. And at the right time it was pulled out. (laughs) Maybe little by little that, that stuff helps. And I I can say like almost every conspiracy theory I thought was just ridiculous bonkers. I now believe is true after, (laughs) after researching them. Um, I mean, I've tried to prove them wrong, you know, Uh, but that's the thing. A lot of people don't even want to try to prove things wrong. And it's like, if you prove something wrong, hey, man, good. OK, I'll, I'm with you. But if you just, uh, you know, want to like poop on all over something and say it's wrong, but without, you know, giving any evidence or proof for it, then I, I can't respect that. But yeah. uh, a lot of the craziest notions I've heard are a lot have a lot of truth to them. Mm-hmm. I you agree. Know. I yeah. agree. But uh, PCR is not one of those crazy conspiracy theorists. I don't think Carrie Mullen, uh, Mullis was a conspiracy theorist. I think, uh, you know, I think he knew exactly what he was talking yep. about. And yep. uh, so hopefully people will look into that. Um, what, what would you say to people who are in your position 
who are maybe afraid to speak out because you did. And, you know, thank God for people like you who are speaking out, you know, because if we, we would never find out stuff like this if no one was willing to. So for the people who are sitting there, you know, who realize something is not okay, what would you say to them? I think that, so what I can say that 10 years ago, I know I wouldn't speak up. I know a bit because it was not the time yet, but in 2020, I realized now is the time. The worst that can happen, the worst that can happen, they kill me. But that's again, that's nothing, right? But it's not, it's not going to go there. It's not going to go that dramatic. I know that. So I was kind of going off of what it feels and when it feels the right time to reach out to somebody and say, oh, maybe we can talk about this. You know, I can expose. So I think for people that feel in their gut, really, they're like, I need to say this. Just reach out to somebody. And then again, maybe that somebody won't invite you that month because, again, the timing is not right. Everything kind of rose in that way. I know that I reached out to somebody and at that point, the timing was not right yet. And then some months later, oh, yeah, you're we're going to do it now. Yeah, okay, fine. You know, so just I know that there, there is a lot of people out there. There is a lot of scientists out there that have seen things that they know are not right. I mean, over time, if you are in research for more than five, six, seven, eight years, if you are in research for some years, you've come across stuff that you're like, oh, this is a little wishy-washy, a little, I, I question this, I question that. So just, uh, I think, go with your gut, but slowly let's start. We have a community. We have a scientific community started by our friend, um, right on Telegram, Um Mike, right? So I think people can reach out to you and they can definitely be added. We will be starting, um, we will start doing some live chats there so we can help each other and see how to go about it. If people are not willing to speak up in front of a camera, I think even just the, you know, Project Veritas type of thing, you know, like mm -hmm. just you you cover the person and you don't say who they are, but at least the, the information gets out, right? Because people have so much information that it needs needs to reach the general public that is completely unaware what's going on in, you know, in those ivory towers, because this is what they are. This right. is what they are. This is where we sit and... We just pretend that we know everything and that we do everything correct, but uh, it's all questionable. So, yes, that's a good point. In any any way, shape, or form that you can speak out, um, I think there's a million ways to do it now. And um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for for speaking out. And I think this is uh, so educational for people to to know about PCR and and everything that goes along with it. So. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for chatting with us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's it's for me, it's always a pleasure to talk to somebody and just because I really want to get this information out to as many people. Because fear is what's keeping us down. Once yeah. you realize, oh, that is not true, that is not true, cases are not true, the fear is gone. 
and then we can move on. I mean, then it's going to be easy. So thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. If, if, if they wanted, if, if they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to a, to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body, okay? So that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to, to claim that it's meaningful. But it, it, it allows you to take a very minuscule amount of anything and make it measurable and then talk about it in meetings and stuff like it is important. The measurement for it is not, is not exact at all. It's not, it's not as good as our measurement for things like apples. An apple is an apple. You know, you can get something that's kind of like, if you got enough things that look kind of like an apple and you stick them all together, you might think of it as an apple. But, and, the, and HIV is like that. Those tests are all based on things that are invisible and they are, the results are inferred in a sense. PCR is separate from that. It's just a process that's used to make a whole lot of something out of something. That's what also, it is. Um, but, it's, they, but it's not, it doesn't tell you that you're sick and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with really was going to hurt you or anything like that. When did you come to the conclusion that HIV was the probable cause of AIDS? Personally, when did you come to the conclusion? And they would generally allude to some paper or something that they had read or whatever, but no one has ever been able to explain to me anything else than I heard it in the New York Times or on TV. You know, you shouldn't go to those people. You know, you go to witch doctors, they're going to put a hex on you. And if you can prove in your mind that our doctors aren't witch doctors, then look at the definition of witch doctors and see if it doesn't fit. Don't lay yourself at the feet of somebody just because he puts on a white robe and makes statements in Latin. It's not that medicine doesn't have some good things going for it. They've got drugs, that's for one thing. Sometimes those are useful, but they're not made by those guys. Those guys don't even know how to write the structure of those drugs. Those are made by chemists. You know, we don't go to chemists to find out whether we should pee at the right places or have sex in this way or that. You know, chemists don't know either. Doctors certainly don't know. The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. It is provided for informational purposes only. Alighton does not endorse nor accept responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions expressed by its guests.